It's electric. Do you feel it? It's called the Holy Spirit. And uh, he's not here today because I'm here. He's here because he's here. So, uh, wow, what a day. It's good to see you this morning. Thank you for being here this morning. If you've got your Bibles, I want you to go ahead and open to the book of 1 Peter. While you're turning there, uh, let me say thank you so much on behalf of Lynette and I for a, a great day yesterday. We so much enjoyed being with you and uh, eating too much peanut butter cupcake. So I had to repent last night, but that's okay. God forgave me. And you have to, too, if you're a Christian. You have to forgive me. So, But it was good. Uh, I wanted to start this morning telling you about a story. You know, um, we all have expectations. This morning I want to talk to you about uh, great expectations is kind of the sermon title. We have expectations. Um, we go to a restaurant. We expect certain things. Uh, we expect certain things maybe out of our marriage, maybe out of our mate, maybe out of church, maybe out of our government, or maybe not. We have different expectations, and uh, our family took a little trip to uh, Kentucky back in the spring with our son Will to go see the Ark. If you've never seen the Ark, I want to encourage you to go see it. Uh, Ken Ham, Answers in Genesis, the, the replica of the real Ark. Uh, was amazing, and one of the things that they have there where you can see the ark is they have uh, some repelling and things like that, and so Will and I, after doing the ark, we were going to go some, do some repelling, but uh, as you get to know our son, he's a freshman at North Greenville, uh, our daughter is a, a senior at College of Charleston, uh, I've only seen my son, he just turned 18, I've only seen him I think maybe three times in his lifetime actually wear shoes. Because he wears flip-flops, even in the snow. He's like, I'm cool, Dad, I'm fine. He wears flip-flops, which is okay. So on this particular day, of course, he had his flip-flops. And we went out of town, and, and we actually had to stop and buy shoes because we're like, Son, I don't think they will allow repelling in flip-flops. I don't think they will. So we went and bought some shoes. So uh, it was our first time getting to the ark, so we get on the bus. And I did not know this, but you park in the parking lot, and then from the parking lot to the entrance... Of the park, you get on you get on a bus, and you you go probably about a mile. So we hop on the bus and we ride to the uh, the park, and we pull up, and I look down at Will's feet, and no shoes, flip flops. I was like, okay, okay, I will go back to the truck. Now I need to tell you at this point that you know we had packed some some snacks for the day which was allowed there and so Lynette had a backpack on her back and I think we had one other little handbag and so we had had ridden 1 mile on this bus to the park and now we get to the point where Lynette and Will get off of the bus and I say okay don't worry about it I will ride back I will sacrifice I will ride back to the parking lot get the shoes and come back. So I get back on the bus Start the journey back to the parking lot. Get back almost halfway to the parking lot and I start doing this. And I start realizing she has the keys. I ride this bus back. By the way, just the bus driver and I, he's looking in the rearview mirror at the lone rider on this bus. And I'm sure he's thinking, what are you doing? What are you doing? So I go back to the parking lot, stay on the bus. And the bus driver's looking at me like, are you just going to ride the bus all day? You know what? <laughs> There, there, is a, there is something bigger than the bus here. It's called the Ark. You might want to see that. So I rode back with him again, and I head back in. I get the keys, and I'm coming back, and we stop, and she's waiting there at the, at the checkpoint again, and she says, here's the key. Start again. I said, okay, 
fantastic. I'll ride back to the parking lot again. So we go back to the parking lot again. I've got the keys. And so I get there. And so I'm texting her back and forth along this journey. And I said, now let's make sure this time that I get what I came for. I'm getting his shoes, right? And she said, yes, his shoes. He says his shoes are in this other little bag in the back seat of the car. I was like, fantastic. So I run out to the parking lot, tell the bus driver, hang on, I'm going to ride with you again. I ride out, run out to the car, get in the car, grab the bag, run back, jump on the bus, hop on the bus, start back. About halfway back to the park, something tells me you might want to unzip the bag. Just make sure the shoes are in there. Some of you are ahead of me already. I unzip the bag. I look in the bag. No shoes. I'm texting her. I'm using emoticons and they're not smiley faces. And I'm saying, where are the shoes? So she's having this conversation with Will, determining where the shoes are. Go back, go back. You know, they're in a different, he left them in the back seat. So I start yet another journey. I've lost count. You probably have too, because I lost count. Another journey on this bus. And I'm headed back to go get his shoes. About this time, as you're riding through the park on this little mile path, uh, which is guarded just for buses to be on, by the way, I look over and there's another road kind of in the distance. And I see this four-wheel drive, and it has stripes on it, and it, it has an official emblem on the side that I found out later was the state trooper emblem. And I see him kind of, you know, getting air and coming over the, the hills, and I'm thinking, wow, he's, he's chasing somebody. I mean, what's going on there? They're, they're really protective of this place. I'm feeling safe. I get off of the bus, and I begin to look, and I see him jump out of his car and begin running across the field. And he gets to the fence that separates the parking lot from this field, and he's jumping over it. And he's running towards me. (laughs) Now keep in mind, this is post 9-11. I've now ridden on this bus, I don't know how many times, with several different bags, several different backpacks and bags. I'm starting to put this all together in my mind as the state trooper is running toward me in a panic with his his hand on his hip. And I'm thinking, I'm going to die. At least I'm going to die at a Christian amusement park. So everything's going to be great. And so he comes running up to me and I knew by this time what's going on. I knew this was happening. Little did I know the same scenario was playing out inside the park with Lynette and Will. The state trooper, another state trooper, has noticed them and is pursuing them at the same time. They're having a little more fun with it because they're laughing and they're explaining to the state trooper, oh, that's my son, he's gone, my husband, he's gone back to get my son's shoes and this whole dynamic is going. Meanwhile, I'm standing like this. You know, against the car while the, while the state trooper's going, let me look in the car, what have you got? Uh, we finally explained, and, and he had a wonderful laugh, and I could see him as he walked back to his car telling other guys, yeah, you won't believe it. And he's laughing, and I'm thinking, I'm going to kill my 18-year-old son, is what I was thinking. <laughs> hey, it was an adventure. Uh, it was not what I expected. It's not the way I expected to start off spring break uh, with my son. I share that because I like to share that story and I like to see you laugh. But here's the thing, brothers and sisters. I wonder if in our culture, perhaps Satan's greatest tactic for us as believers is for us to lower our expectations of what we expect from the creator of the universe. And the awesome God that he is that we've sung about, the awesome plan that he has for our future. 
And it's easy to lower our expectations because we live in a culture where we, again, we don't expect a whole lot. We go out to eat. My wife and I now, time, the time, every time we go out to eat, it's kind of like, what's going to go wrong now? Let's just kind of see what happens at this meal. Let's see what we get discounted on our ticket because we have so lowered our expectations. We've lowered our expectations, perhaps, of our marriage. We've lowered our expectations of our employees. We've lowered our expectations of our government. We've lowered our expectations of God. And we expect very little from God anymore. Perhaps we've so lowered our expectations that we don't think God is the God of the miraculous anymore. Well, He is. He's awesome. And we're going to discover in His Word this morning three incredible expectations that if you're a child of God today, if you're a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus, you can take these to the bank. These are things you can expect as a child of God. Now, if you're not a child of God, hang on. Because I've got some good news for you before we wrap up. But let's look at it together in the book of 1 Peter chapter 1. It's three short verses that we're going to look at this morning. Here's what it says. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. Let me pop it up on the screen there for you. Who according to His great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away, reserved in heaven for you. Who are protected by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last times. Man, these verses are so power packed. You know, the main objective of this chapter, if you, if you study, and I've had the privilege to do that this past week, and to see what he's saying here, what First Peter is saying to these people, it's an interesting group of people that he's writing to. As a matter of fact, if you back up and you read verses 1 and 2, he calls the people aliens, Christians, believers scattered across the world that feel distant and out of place in the world in which they live. Boy, if that doesn't describe 2019, I don't know what does. Because the people in this particular time, they were suffering. And they were trying to faithfully follow God in a pagan and hostile society. 2019 is what it sounds like to me. It says that if their persecution took the forms of slander and riots, social ostracism. You know, and Peter, the writer of this book was an incredible man. I believe no other apostle, perhaps other than Peter, was so firmly persuaded about who Jesus was and about his mission and so zealous. You know, when many of the people learned about the Messiah and kind of had their own idea of who the Messiah would be, the conquering ruler is what they thought. And when they discovered that's not who Jesus was going to be, they started to leave. And if you remember the passage of Scripture where Jesus begins to ask the disciples, are all you guys going to leave me? Are you going to forsake me? And Peter said, Jesus, where would we go? To whom would we go? Because you have the words of life. This is the guy who's writing this book to us. And he says some interesting words I want us to look at before we look at the expectations. Let's look at them together. He says this word in verse 3. In verse 3 he says, blessed. He starts it out, blessed. He says, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. That word blessed is very important. If you see it in Scripture, it means this. It means, oh, how very happy. We read it a lot in Psalms. In Psalms chapter 1, it says, Blessed is the man 
who does not walk in the way of the sinner, or sit in the seat of scoffers, or stand in the seat, stand in the way of mockers. There's this progression in Psalm 1. And blessed is what it's saying is, oh, how happy. And what Peter is saying is, oh, how happy you are. The people that he's writing to, and yet they're aliens. They're scattered. They're living in a pagan and hostile society. And yet Peter is saying, how blessed and how happy you are, how happy you should be. It's an interesting word. He acknowledges the blessing of God and he also is getting ready to acknowledge the blessings of God or the expectations we can have from God. And those blessings we know originate from God. James tells us that every good and perfect gift comes from the Father of light. So we know that God is the author of blessings. So there's a key word there with blessings, but then he also tells us in that same verse, he tells us about who those blessings are from and who they're delivered through. He says those blessings come from what? He says from the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. The Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. There's some three key words there. Lord Jesus Christ. Each of those words describing the Savior of the world. And if you study those, those three words are very important. They have three distinct different meanings. Sometimes we hear those words used in profanity. But those words have distinct, powerful meanings. Lord is universal. Basically, he's saying you are Lord over everything, not just of one thing or a small segment of something. You are Lord over everything. You are the Christ. You are the prophet. You are the one sent that God promised. You are the savior of the world. Jesus, the savior of the world. So when we talk about these expectations in a minute. Understand these are expectations coming from somebody that can't be trusted. These expectations you can expect because they're being delivered from the Father, our Father God, from, from and through the Lord Jesus Christ. And how are they delivered? He tells us they're delivered. Another key word, I love it in this verse, verse 3. He says they've been, they are from the Lord Jesus Christ, who according to His great mercy. It's the same kind of... Mercy that he talks about in Romans chapter 12. Paul talks about in Romans chapter 12. We had a privilege to talk with the young people about, about that at the Revolution Conference. The mercy of God. I don't know about you today, but I can tell you, just so you know, I need the mercy of God. I'm not perfect. If you were to display my past up on this screen, you'd get up and walk out. Because I'm a sinner. I've made mistakes. But praise be to God, He doesn't give me His justice, and I don't want the justice of God, and neither do you. I want the mercy of God, and the mercy of God is when God does not give me what I deserve. Grace is Him giving me what I don't deserve. Mercy is Him refusing to give me what I do deserve. So when we talk about these expectations, remember, God is giving these because of His incredible Mercy, His great mercy, it's the catalyst for these expectations that we're getting ready to hear about. They come from a merciful God, so let's look at them together. Aren't you thankful for God's mercy this morning? His incredible, incredible mercy. So let's look at the expectations together. Here's the first one. It's in that verse, verse 3. The first expectation is the expectation that we have of a living hope. And my clicker is slowly clicking. There we go. I need the clapper, right? Maybe that's better. We have a living hope. And this hope that we have is not just for the future. It is for the future. 
Man, as we were singing that song, I couldn't help but think of individuals in this congregation this week who have lost loved ones. You sing those songs a little bit different when we all get to heaven. When you've experienced loss. Lynette and I got a text yesterday and we had a dear family who lost their son in an automobile accident Friday who's now standing in the presence of Jesus Christ. Wow. We have a living hope, yes, for the future, but the living hope starts today. If you're a child of God, you should be living with hope. Have you ever, have you ever met anyone who has no hope? I've met a lot of people who've been hopeless. Man, that is a very difficult way to live. It's a very difficult way to live. Where does this hope come from? How can we have hope? Maybe your hope is waning. You know, as I was looking at my phone yesterday at a particular game that we won't talk about, as quarter after quarter began to come by, my hope began to wane and wane and wane. I'm not even sure if it's going to come back before the season is over. We shall see. But our hope is not in a team. Our hope is not in a person. Our hope is not in our government. Our hope is not in our pastor. Our hope has to be in the living hope of Jesus. He is where our hope should come from. And it's interesting because this hope that he describes in verse 3 says it's a living hope. How? Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. He's telling you and I as believers, Peter is saying, listen, he's saying you need to know something. You need to know that the resurrection is demonstrating that God accepts as payment in full Jesus' death on the cross for your sin and for mine. That is good news today. That gives me hope. Because His death is our ransom and His resurrection is the basis for our hope. You know, I'll be honest, as you get older, as I get older, it's very easy to allow the pressures of the world to let our hope be squandered and squelched and to cause our hope to wane. Because we look at what happens in our culture and in our world and we're just going, wow, the world is going south in a handbasket. i got good news for you in case you... Haven't seen the rest of the movie. I've already read the rest of the book. I know who wins. I know who wins. We have a living hope. This hope comes because of this great mercy. And when you have hope, hope does a couple of things. Hope births life. I have the privilege, I think most of you know, to serve and to do some work in the Dominican Republic. And it's interesting when you walk up upon a, a young girl in the streets who's prostituting herself because that's the only thing that she knows how to do to make money for her family and to feed her children. And you walk up and you begin to explain to her who Jesus is and the hope that she can have. It's amazing to see the whole countenance of her face change because maybe for the first time in her life, she's heard that there is a hope. Maybe we've heard that too much. And we've grown callous to the fact that we have a living hope in Jesus. That hope will come only because we're born again. And that hope will only come because of the truth of Jesus and the resurrection. So we can expect this morning to put our trust in a living hope. We can put our trust in the living hope of Christ. But he goes on there. It doesn't stop there. He says not only that, but you can obtain an inheritance. You can obtain an inheritance. And he describes what this inheritance is. And you guys feel free to advance if you want up there. We'll be informal this morning. The clicker has clicked out, I believe. I know that feeling. I've been there before. 
You know, I was surfing around the Internet this morning, and, and you may not know this, but there is a website, uh, and it actually you can search by state. The website is called unclaimed.org. And you can go to this website and you can find out. And so I did a search. I put in Joey Estes Malden. And you've got some money waiting for you, by the way. I just want to let you know. You can go to this website and you can find out if someone has left you some money. And, and right now in the state of South Carolina, there are $380 million plus dollars of cash and property that is still waiting to be claimed. Some of you are pulling out your phone. Don't get on Google now. Don't get on Google now. Unclaimed and unclaimed inheritance. And the people that Peter is writing to, it's very important because many of these people have been ostracized. If you do the research and they're pushed, have been pushed out of their, of their native land. And now they're living, again, as the verse 1 says, as aliens. And many of them, when they left home, they walked away and they left an inheritance behind. Peter doesn't just choose that word at random. He uses it on purpose to say, though your inheritance, your physical inheritance, you may have left behind, i got some good news. I've got to tell you about a better inheritance. And it's the inheritance that comes from Jesus. And the inheritance from Jesus is not going to fall away or fade away like the inheritance maybe that you would get physically from someone so let's look at what he says about this inheritance. It's interesting when you think about the word inheritance. Inheritance usually only comes when a couple of things happen. The first one is somebody has to die. So he told us in the verse before, somebody already did that for us. His name is Jesus. Somebody has to die in order for there to be inheritance. You remember the story of the prodigal. The prodigal son who went to his father and basically asked for his inheritance. The reason that is so just unbelievably uh, crazy that somebody would have the audacity to ask that is because his father was still alive. And he went to him and said, I want the inheritance now, even though you're not dead. And we know the rest of the story. He went out and squandered and finally came to his senses and returned home. But the inheritance that he's talking about right here, and most times the inheritance to be received, someone has to die, and Jesus died in our place. The other thing that's important about inheritance is it usually is passed to a child. It's usually passed to a, a blood relative. Inheritance doesn't come by what you do. Inheritance comes by who you are and who you belong to. Brothers and sisters, please hear me today. If maybe this is your first time in church in a long time, or maybe you've been here for years, but you've never committed your life to a personal relationship with Jesus, it does not come just because of something you do. You can come here every Sunday the doors are open. And that is not going to make you a child of God. Trust me, I know. I was in church nine months before I was actually physically on the planet. <laughs> My mom was pre pregnant and I was there. Okay, some of you... Explain that to your neighbor. And I was in church religiously, if I can use that word, week in and week out, multiple days a week. Am I saying church attendance is not important? No, church attendance is very important because that's where we grow. That's where we sharpen each other as brothers and sisters in Christ. What I'm saying is it doesn't make you a believer. Any more than riding on a bus with a couple of bags makes you a terrorist. 
The expectation of this inheritance, it cannot be purchased. It can only be inherited and comes from that relationship to God. The truth of the matter is, yes, God, the giver of all gifts, has, have, has given all of us gifts. Even those that don't know Jesus, He has given gifts. That's because He's a good God. But only to those who are children has He given the gift of inheritance to. That's a powerful thing. And He describes what this inheritance is. Let's look at it real quick. He gives, I think, three or four descriptors to what this inheritance is. The first one He says is it's imperishable. Imperishable. I want to encourage you, as you come across some of these words in the Bible, if you don't know what they are, and sometimes I don't, grab Google or grab an old school Webster's Dictionary and look them up because the words that God chooses to put in here for us to read are not by accident. The word imperishable. Imperishable means it won't die. It can't be corrupted. There's nothing that can cut off its life. It's going to go on and on and on and on and on. 10,000 years from now, it will still be going because it is incorruptible. That is our inheritance that he's describing here. He also says it's undefiled, which means holy. Nothing tainted about it. It's 100% pure and holy. And that's what you and I have as believers, as children of God. We get to access this inheritance that is unbelievable pure and holy. I had a friend in high school, real quick story, he used to work for a potato chip company, I won't tell you the name of it, but his job was in the big train carts that would come in and have all the potato chips in there, his job was to stand on top of the cart and they had this stick that it would go down and this little basket, and his job was to put the stick in there with the little basket, twist it, pull it out of the railroad cart, and get a sampling of the potato chips that was in there and to have them inspected. They were not to be inspected to make sure that they were 100% pure. They were to be inspected to make sure that they did not pass the legal limit of contamination. Now you're getting ready to eat lunch, so I won't go there. But when he began to describe to me some of the things that were allowed to pass and be approved and still be counted as okay, I thought, man, it's going to make me question putting my hand in a bag of potato chips from now on. That lasted a few months and I got over it. <laughs> but here's the point. There's a, there's a legal limit of contamination allowed in that and all bagged and processed foods, by the way. But what the Scripture is saying here, what Peter is saying is, you don't have to worry about anything being tainted when it comes to your inheritance with God because it is unblemished, it is holy, it is 100% pure. Woo! Man, that's awesome. He also says this about the inheritance. He says it won't fade away. It will not fade away. It will never cease to make happy the one who has it reserved. And he shares this with the people because this inheritance, like for them and like for you, hasn't happened in its fullness yet, right? We're, we're not in heaven. It might feel like it a little bit today, but we're not in heaven. One day we shall see him as the choir sung face to face and we will experience him in all his glory. But for now, Paul says in 1 Corinthians 13, we see things dimly. As if looking through a glass that's kind of fuzzy. But one day we will see Him face to face and all things will be clear. Why? Because He has that reservation for us. 
You see, I, I have been saved from the penalty of sin. I am being saved from the power of sin. And one day all of us will be saved from the presence of sin because we will stand in front of the one who is sinless and holy and blameless and awesome. And that is our inheritance that we have if we're children of God. But how do we know that that inheritance is going to come to pass? I'm glad you asked because he tells us how we can have that expectation. Number three. Here's what he says in verse five. You will be protected who are protected by the power of God through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. We will be protected. Man, we live in a volatile, divisive world filled with tragedy and fear. And I think a lot of us, including myself, sometimes wonder, God, how will we have this inheritance? How will we have this living hope? How can we know? And we can know because God is protecting that for our present and our future. How has He protected it? Through our faith in Him. The expectation of God's protection, we will be protected by the power of God from now until He says the last time, the last time when we see Him just as He is. Some incredible promises from God's Word, His expectations, great expectations that we can have. So here's my question for you today. Where are you on your expectations of God? Have we so lowered our expectations of God that we don't believe Him for the miraculous and the impossible? Where are you on your expectations for God? Are they low? Are you, are you expecting anything big from God? Are you expecting God to do something that only He can do and only He can get the credit for? I think we live in a day and age in the church, generally speaking, where we expect so little. We don't see anything miraculous happen because God is waiting for us to ask Him to do something that only He can do. And we ask Him of things that only we can do. And I think God is like, well, you can do that, so go ahead. You don't need me. We have so put God in such a small box. My God is big enough to cause us to be born again to a living hope. He's big enough to give us this inheritance. He's give, big enough to give us the protection we deserve. So here's a couple questions for you to think about as we wrap up this morning. Have you experienced that living hope? Have you experienced this inheritance that He has promised for you? Have you put your faith in His protection? To watch over you and protect you until that point in time where you are in His presence forever. Those of you who are parents in the room will understand this. Lynette and I are now empty nesters. Or we think we are. They still keep coming back. My son's a freshman, as I mentioned. My daughter's a senior. And, and, and it's been a little difficult for me, I'll be honest. Because you let them go and you worry and you look at the clock and go, I wonder what they're doing right now. Well, hopefully they should be in bed. Hopefully they should be in class. Hopefully they should be studying. And you find yourself constantly praying for them. And I'll be honest, until a few weeks ago, I finally had to get to the point where I said, Okay, God, I am releasing them to your protection because they know you. My wife did that a long time ago. She's smarter than me. Do you trust God's protection? 
What should your response be this morning? If you don't know Jesus, your response this morning should be to come down front in just a moment. I'm going to ask Heath to stand with me and come down front and say, I need to know this living hope. I need to know the person of Jesus Christ. There'd be no greater day than today, the day of salvation, to say, yes, I need to do that if you're in this place. And if that fits you, no condemnation. I was there. Everyone in this room was at a point, at some point, where they did not have that relationship with Jesus. They did not know that living hope. So if you don't know that living hope for you, maybe that's the decision you need to make this morning. Maybe for some of you it's to come down front and kneel and thank God for the incredible expectations we can have as His children. Maybe it's you need to come down and apologize and say, God, forgive me. Because I've been living as if my God is this big. My, uh, my grandmother, who is with the Lord now, we would uh, eat Sunday lunch at her house a lot of Sundays. And um, she was a, a godly lady. I remember many Sundays we would be eating and, oh my goodness, I'm not going to describe the fried chicken and mashed potato and macaroni and cheese and cream corn and yeast rolls. Sorry. (laughs) I'm not going to describe those that she would bring out. And we were eating and we were eating as fast as we could. And a lot of times she would not eat because she was waiting on you to finish. And the reason she was waiting on you to finish is because she wanted to clean your plate. And she would always have that dish rag. And she was always as soon as... And, and I would ask my mom often, I'm like, what is the deal? Because she's always... And, my, and I finally realized as I grew up why she did that. Here's why she did it. She would even take your fork that you'd use for the meal and she would walk out. And you could smell there was some kind of dessert. It may be a homemade apple pie or red velvet cake or chocolate cake or pecan pie. I'm getting you prepped for lunch, okay? Am I doing a good job? But she would, she would be cooking something and she would walk out. And she'd walk up beside you and reach over your shoulder. And she would say, The best is yet to be. And we would go, Bring it on! Bring it on! Bring it on! Crossroads, regardless of how this day ends, I'm here to tell you the best is yet to be. Let's raise our expectations for the King of the universe to do something far beyond what we could imagine or expect or even dream about because that's what He wants to do in your life and mine. Would you pray with me? Father, thank You for today. Thank You for the incredible privilege to open up Your Word. Thank You for the incredible privilege to gather together where many people do not have the privilege to do what we're doing in this place today and to freely worship You. Jesus, I pray in the quietness of this moment for each of us in this room, including this preacher guy, if there's some decision, some area of surrender, something that we need to do in our life today so that when we exit these doors, our relationship and our fellowship with You will be correct. Would You give us the boldness, the courage the ability to step up and step out and come down front and grab Heath's hand or my hand and just do business with you. Or maybe it's just to pray quietly at the altar. We commit this time to you and pray that you would have your way, Holy Spirit. While you're sitting there praying this morning, I would just ask you again, what would the Lord have you to do this morning? How is He asking you to respond? 
In just a moment, we're going to stand together. We're going to have a hymn of invitation. And the reason we call it a hymn of invitation is because that's the time that we're inviting you. God is inviting you to respond in obedience to what He has spoken to your heart this morning. So I pray as we stand in just a minute that whatever He's told you to do, you would be obedient. If it's to come down front and pray, if it's to grab a neighbor by the hand, if it's to grab a spouse by the hand and come down front, however He leads you this morning, my friend Heath will be here and I'll be here at the front as well to pray with you this morning. Would you stand with us and let's sing our hymn of invitation together. Let's sing. God bless you.